Wednesday Night Strike Back presents The Man Who Walked Through Time. Written by Justin Gotti and Jerry Valle. Produced by Justin Gotti and Jerry Valle. With Justin Gotti as Richard Farrow. Jerry Valle as Dr. Cleaver. Keith Schoen as Jason Coben. Amy Levin as Any Act. Catherine Fleming as Catherine Townsend. Chuck McIntyre as Robert Stamp. With additional voices by Chuck McIntyre, Keith Schoen, Amy Levin, and Justin Gotti. Mr. Farrow, thank you again for coming to see me. Richard, please, call me Richard. We've met enough times, we can do away with the formalities, I think. Yes, of course. As you prefer, Richard, please have a seat on the couch. Thank you. At the end of our last session, you mentioned you might be ready to tell me something important. Are you ready today? Yes, Doctor. I I think I'm ready. If I may ask, uh, why have you been so reluctant to tell me about this up until today? Well... Frankly, Doctor, the, the whole thing's really quite fantastical. I figured if I told you everything outright, you'd think I was, you know, crazy. Richard, I would never think you're crazy. As a matter of fact, I consider you a very rational man. I'm sure any tale you have to tell me has a plausible, reasonable explanation. I have a very open mind. Thank you, Doctor. That is comforting. Where, where should I begin? I imagine, like most stories, you should start at the beginning. Yes, of course. Let me see. Well, well, I guess it all began when my grandfather passed away. So, this is it, your grandfather's farm. I have to tell you, this was one of the more drawn-out probate cases I've ever worked on. But, in the end, despite your grandfather's will, the court ruled in your mother's favor. And Shia's turn has <clears throat> abdicated the property and estate to you. Hmm, looks like the place could use some, some upkeep. I suppose nothing a few new windows and a fresh coat of paint couldn't fix. <laughs> well... Your grandfather may have let the place go these last few years. If I may be frank, I fear he was slipping towards the end. Slipping? Yes. Um, I knew your grandfather for more than a decade. Strictly in a professional capacity, of course. He was always uh, a bit eccentric. But over these last few years, he, he seemed to indulge that eccentricity more and more. <laughs> I suppose once you've reached the ripe old age of 108, you should be allowed to let some things slip, eh? I didn't know him. My mom never talked about my grandfather. He and my mother had a, a falling out before I was born. About my father, I think. Uh, y- yes, of course. Sorry to hear that. Uh, in his will, your grandfather explicitly stated that neither you nor your mother received any portion of his estate. Your mother spent a lot of money contesting that will. Your grandfather's... State of mind only helped her case. If you don't mind saying so, I think it's ironic after all the trouble. She just passed the state on directly to you? She always bore him a lot of resentment. I think it may have been more about that not granting his wishes than the estate itself. Whatever the falling out was, it left her a a bitter woman. Yes, I see. Well, shall we proceed? You can have a look around and get all the I's dotted and the T's crossed on the paperwork right here. Yes. Yes, of course. Uh, as you'll see, it's it's not particularly large. Three bedrooms, a dining room, there's the sitting room and kitchen, and oh, yes, bathroom. Relatively new addition. <laughs> Let's see, the property description lists a root cellar and a couple of outbuildings, barns, some sheds. Ah, the entire property and all its contents are yours once we finalize this paperwork. Wow. That's a lot of books. Was he an avid reader? Yes, definitely. A wide range of interests. Physics, electronics. The Golden Bough. La Lupus Horrifique. The King in Yellow. Huh. A man of science and a taste for obscure literature. Uh, yes, as I said, he, he was eccentric. How did you say he passed again? Uh, it was really rather horrible. Grizzly, in fact. Uh, he was consumed in flame. They, they say from the inside out. 
The official finding was spontaneous combustion. Ah, yes. That is gruesome. I suppose one could say he died as eccentrically as he lived? <laughs> um, y yes, well, uh, anyway, if you don't have any exception, I'd like to get this paperwork signed and let you get on to whatever it is you're going to do with this place. Yes, of course. I'm sure you have other clients to get to today. As you say. Let's begin, firstly, by signing this document. You concede to lay claim to... Well, that's all the paperwork settled. And here you are, Mr. Farrow. Finally, the keys. If there's nothing else, I'll be... The, the root cellar. Uh, do you have keys to the root cellar? That lock is... Well, it's substantial, and I can see that none of these keys are going to match it. I am afraid those are all the keys I was given. Perhaps the key to the cellar is hidden among all this stuff somewhere. If not, you could call a locksmith or cut the door down. <laughs> I hardly think cutting this door down would be a small task. This is a solid oak slab. Feels like two inches thick at least. You couldn't get through this with a howitzer. Uh, yes, well, good luck with that. If there are any questions or concerns regarding the estate or the probate hearings, please do call. If you need help with any locks, again, I, I suggest a smith. Thank you, Mr. Stamp. Good day. Good day, Mr. Farrow. <sighs> Where should I start? I should probably start packing and organizing things, I guess. But the, the door, it's really piqued my curiosity. Hey, yes, uh, you're talking to yourself again, Richie. Yes, yes, I am. Well, well, let's see if we can't find the key to that door somewhere. Uh, and why did that door have such an appeal to you? I like a good pulp mystery or horror tale, and the whole thing, the inherited farm, the books, the locked door, it all had the trappings of both. It was all very tantalizing. It was as if the door was calling to me. And you were able to open the door? Oh, yes. And what I discovered went far beyond my fantasies. But all in good time, Doctor. I, I, I suppose the next thing was when I met up with my old friend Jason. Jason Coben, that is. A friend from childhood. <laughs> Jason fancies himself a bit of a beatnik nowadays. Well, at least he dresses the part. Richard, how you doing, Daddy-o? Jason, it's been a while. I I'm fine, I'm fine. How are you? Ah, uh, you know me. I'm having a blast. Working some gigs, living in Fat City. Good to hear it, good to hear it. So, when you called me, you sounded real up. You got something going on, man? What's bugging, cousin? <laughs> uh, yes, things have gotten interesting lately. Uh, you see, I inherited my grandfather's farm, and I've been living there these past few months. Cleaning it up, going through its effects. It's been a really nice break from the firm. Hot damn! Richard Farrell working on a farm? Itching the tie and getting his hands dirty? Never thought I'd see the day, cuz. Oh, I, I'm just taking sabbatical. I'll be back in the office shortly. Back to the old rat race, as you like to say. But listen, Jason, that, that's not what I called to talk to you about. I, I found something. It's just uh, it's so extraordinary. I... I didn't know who I could talk to about this. We've known each other a long time, Jason. I, I think of all people I know, you'd understand. I dig. I dig. Richie, man, how long has it been? We were ten when we met, if I recall. Nah, man, that ain't right. You were ten. I was ten and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the scene, man? What you got cooking? It's, it's a long story. Uh, turns out my grandfather wasn't much of a farmer. Whole farm is pretty shabby and run down, and his house is filled with strange books on physics, astronomy, plus a ton of older books on occult and things I don't even have a name for. I never met the man, but everyone who has says he was a, a bit of an odd duck. Well, now... There was this, uh... Cellar door, huge and heavy, with an old, really rugged lock. It piqued my interest the moment I saw it, but I, I didn't have the key, and nobody seemed to know where it was, or if one still existed. I desperately wanted to look at what was beyond that door, so I, I searched the whole place. 
I mean, I looked everywhere, high and low. I did manage to find a number of old keys, but none matched the lock. Finally, after two weeks, I stumbled on the key. Ugh. Literally, it was hidden beneath a loose floorboard. <laughs> Crazy. But, uh, okay, so what was in the old man's cellar? Patience. I found the key, but it was late when I did, so, so I resolved to investigate in the morning. The next day, once I'd had my coffee and a light repast, I made my way to the cellar door. How'd you wait? I I'd have gone straight away. The curiosity must have been killing you. Anything worth doing is worth doing with a clear head, Jason. I unlocked it and went inside. It was heavier than I anticipated, and it creaked ominously as I opened it. I descended the rickety wooden stairs. I was really just expecting an ordinary, dank, dark root cellar, but I suppose some part of me secretly wanted to find something exciting, like, I don't know, a, a dungeon or something? But it was neither. Where's <laughs> my berries? I'm on the edge of my feet. It appeared to be some sort of laboratory. There were several large work tables covered in bizarre contraptions whose function I couldn't even begin to guess. Electronics and gears and wires wrapped around stone. They made no sense. Pieces of paper with inscrutable scribbles and drawings were scattered throughout. The walls were lined with cabinets overstuffed with files and shelves and shelves of books with titles so strange I couldn't even pronounce them. I immediately concluded a few things. What was your gramps cooking? The first thing was my grandfather was a disorganized slob. The other was more troubling. He was clearly insane. The various apparatus seemed to be trying to combine archaic and arcane occult theory with modern scientific principles in some wild and hodgepodge way. It was such a shocking, confusing mess. I only spent a little time there before retreating back upstairs. I locked the door and returned to cleaning the house. I was a little disturbed by the whole thing, but nonetheless, I couldn't stop thinking about the laboratory and its unusual contents. Sounds like your granddad was a white kook, uh, but I don't see what all the hubbub is about. So I did go back down a few days later, and I looked around. I found a wooden case lined with felt. Inside was what looked like a completed apparatus. Unlike the piles of incomplete or partially dismantled ones on the tables, this one was whole. And, well, it, it buzzed. It, it hummed when I picked it up. What was it? Like a, a, a weapon or something? It's a brass cylinder, uh, about a foot long. It had a winder on one end like a watch, and a number of dials with times, months, years, dates, and a button. Like a perpetual calendar? Yes, exactly, but, but peculiar, like I said. A foot long and two inches thick with no stand or anything for a desk. Like it was really meant to be handheld. And that was it? At first I thought so, but, but no, it was far more peculiar than that. Okay, what do you mean peculiar? Well, I, I fiddled with it a bit, and then I pressed the button. That thrumming I mentioned before? Well, now it ramped right up to a huge jolt of electricity. I was knocked to my knees by the shock. And then? I, I opened my eyes. I was in the same room, but suddenly there was a phonograph playing on the table. A phonograph that hadn't been there before. There were lamps and lights. The dank cold of the stone walls and floor was gone, and the room was suddenly warm. It was the same room, but different. Instead of being a dead, abandoned old cellar, it was an active laboratory. What? How? That is exactly what I was wondering, and then I heard whistling coming down the stairs. It was so odd. Part of me wanted to confront the intruder, but another part of me was apprehensive and confused. So what did you do? Well, I hid under the table. I wanted to see who the intruder was. Who was it? Well, I never saw his face, but I'm pretty sure it was my grandfather. I crouched under the table as he began working right above me, muttering to himself in a gruff old man voice and tinkering with something. It was then that it occurred to me the date I'd put on the stick. Before I pressed the button, it was today's date, that day's date, but in 1936. You traveled back in time? I, I know how it sounds. I myself assumed that this was all a dream, that perhaps I'd fallen asleep in the cellar or the immense shock I'd felt to knock me out. Well, anyway, I panicked. I, I adjusted the device back to 1955 and pressed the button. <laughs> I got the same shock and I was back in that dank, dark, quiet cellar. Okay, so you have a time machine? That's flat out crazy, man. Like I said, I thought it had been a dream. I put the device down and left. I went somewhere and had a quiet meal. After a while, I calmed down, but I couldn't get out of my head. So uh, I went back and tried again. And Jason, it worked. Again, it's true. I have a time machine. You have a time machine?
time machine and you can travel back to 1936. That's a pretty tall tale, Richie. Yes, I know it sounds impossible, but listen, come back to my place. I can show you. Really? Ah! Okay, man, let's do it! Swing it! Before we head out, I, I should mention, I made it a point to read every piece of fiction about time travel I could find, plus any research journals discussing theories of time. From what I've learned, I've come up with some, some ground rules. Rules? What rules? Well, rule number one, never travel to the future. Why not to the future? I traveled forward to 2020, and, well, as they say then, uh, spoiler alert, you do not want to see the future. Uh, okay. What else? Rule two. When in the past, interact with as little as possible. Take nothing. Leave nothing. Otherwise, you risk creating what they call time paradox. Before traveling back to a place, you must know as much about that place in that time as possible, so we minimize upsetting the, the whole thing. Those are pretty much the two golden rules. Oh, and you can't meet yourself. That seems like it might be a really high potential for the whole paradox thing. Paradox, huh? Have you created a, a paradox? Well, there was McCarthyism. What's that? Some sort of disease? In a way, yes, but that's a conversation for another time. Come back to the farm with me, and I'll show you the device. Oh, okay then. I'll follow you. So you brought your friend, this uh, Jason Coburn, to the farm, yes? You showed your friend this time machine you had found in your grandfather's basement? Yes, I know how it sounds, but let me finish my tale. So Jason and I took a, a quick jaunt. We only went back about six months to the cellar during the period between when my grandfather died and I inherited the property, just to prove a point but not risk any, any paradox. Richie, I didn't believe you when you first told me. We actually traveled back in time. That was amazing. But to think of all the possibilities. What are we going to do with it next? Nothing, I, I think. We'll, we'll do nothing with it. Nothing? What, what, what are you talking about, man? Every time I travel through time, I am struck with the delicacy of history and how easily this could do more damage than, than good. Richard. Richie. Bitch, Ricardo. Come on, man. Came to me with this. I'm Jason Coben, man. The ideal guy. If you just wanted to bury it, you would have. This is no time to get the Zorro. You could play it smart, Richie. Make us some easy money. One trip and we can have it made in the shade. I'm telling you. Jason, come on. Using this to make money is a guaranteed way to create more paradox. No, 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 Richie. See, we play it smart. We just do something that follows all your rules. The perfect crime, right in and out. No breaking any rules. No disrupting the timeline. No paradox. I don't want to commit a crime, Jason. Oh, whoa, it's, it's just an expression, Daddy-o. Cool your jets. I just mean, like, a, a caper. You know, a, a scheme. How could we do such a thing without creating a paradox? Well, hear me out. What if we already did? I don't understand. Okay, what if there was some, you know, mystery? Or like, something disappeared a long time ago and nobody ever found it? And, and what if nobody found it because we had it? This sounds complicated. It's the bee's knees, man. We can do this. I tell you, I've been thinking about this. Listen, how about you give me a couple weeks to research and get all my ducks in a row, and, and then you can review the plan. If you don't like it, we scrap it. Forget the whole thing. If it holds water, we do it. I don't know, Jason. Trust me. I, I just need a little time to sort the details, and I'll get back to you. I think you'll be surprised how well it'll go. All right, Richie. I'm going to go bake me a biscuit, but I'll be back in touch soon. Well, okay then. See you, Richie. I'll be in touch. Bye, Jason.
Uh, so did Jason ever get back to you with this plan of his? Yes, he did, and I honestly did not expect him to. He's never really been much for follow-through. Mr. Farrow, excuse me, Richard, I'm not as naive as your friend. He made a valid point, and yet he didn't heed his own advice. I think you know your friend quite well, and you knew exactly what he'd want to do with this device. <sighs> Yes. Yeah, of course I did. Jason likes being the idea guy. If he thinks it's his idea, he, he has some follow through. If you had this idea already, why did you need your friend at all? Jason has a sort of impulsive daring do, a self-confidence and presence that makes things work out for him. He's always had it. Myself, I was, I was always the planner. I like things meticulously planned out. But Jason, he could charge in and adapt when things didn't go exactly as planned. I needed Jason. I could rely on Jason to, to be Jason. <clears throat> you were having money troubles? <laughs> I really did underestimate you, Doctor. You are really quite perceptive. Yes, I was having money troubles. I, uh, I've been developing a system, tracking numbers on horse races, statistical projections, those sorts of things. My system was guaranteed to pay big. Foolproof, as they say. I put basically every cent I had into my scheme, and boy, did it work. That is, until it didn't. The system failed, I suspect, because, uh, uh, well, you know, my, my suspicions aren't important. I owed a lot of money. I was going to sell the farm to pay for some of it, but that was only enough to buy me more time. Uh, I needed quick, easy cash. <clears throat> I see. So what happened next? I put the device into a safe in my home, and I waited. I knew Jason would come back once I'd planted the seed in his head, and I was right. A few weeks later, as I was packing up my grandfather's farm, Jason found me. Oh, uh, hello, Jason. Sorry, I was just uh, finishing getting the last of these boxes on the truck. You're selling the farm? Yeah, I'm ready to go back to work. I, I just don't see myself living here or doing anything, so I packed up all, all my grandfather's things and moved out. It's already an escrow. What about, you know, the cellar? All cleared out. And the, you know, thing? It's somewhere safe, uh, for now, I keep thinking I should probably just destroy it. No! No, wait, man. Don't do that. Listen, I got a plan. It's perfect. <sighs> okay. Okay, I, I said I'd hear you out. Help me unload these things at my place, and, and then we can talk. I dig it. You won't be sorry, Richie. You won't be sorry. I think that's the last one. Yeah. Drink this while I give you my pitch. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, okay, okay. So my grandfather, Harry Coben, was a cop. Uh, we'd go to his house as kids, and he'd get stoned on a bunch of highballs. And he'd get to talking, and he'd always tell us the same old story. How in 1915, he saw the strangest mystery of his life. How 200 grand and bear bonds just vanished, poof, from a safe deposit box at the Welk-Stolt Savings and Loan. No evidence, no witnesses, no nothing. The box was empty, and the bonds were never seen again. A grand mystery. Yes, I, I recall the story from that fishing trip we went on with your grandfather. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, shut up about it. So, out of curiosity, I went to the library and dug up some old newspaper articles, and what do you know? The old Coot story is basically true. $200,000 in bear bonds did go missing mysteriously from the Welkstolt Savings and Loan in 1915, sometime in the fall. By my calculations, there was a three-month period where the box was sealed and stayed unobserved. So, you want to go back and steal those bearer bonds. Remember rule number two? Take nothing, leave nothing. You can't cash bearer bonds you just stole, and we can't time travel back with them. Also, how do we steal the bonds to begin with? Hey, what do you mean? Listen, even if we get to 1915, the bonds are still in a safe deposit box in a vault. Time traveling isn't going to magically open the boxes. Oh, I, I hadn't thought of that. Jason, we don't want to create paradox. We have to think of everything.
And so you said no to his plan. I did. Like I said, Jason's always more committed when he thought the idea was his. That is very manipulative. I, I suppose, but that's always how our relationship was. Mm-hmm. So then what did you do? Well, I waited a few days and I went back to Jason with a, a modified plan. Uh-huh. Which you had already devised, even before showing the time machine to Jason? In broad strokes, yes, but there were details I would need Jason to fill in. I have to be honest, Richard. I am quite impressed by your prescience. It's hardly as impressive as it seems. Jason's grandfather really did tell that story constantly. I only met the man on a few occasions, but probably heard the story a a dozen times. Jason had heard it since childhood. He could recall it from memory. I knew Jason well enough to know that that's exactly where his mind would go. I see. Very well. So you went back to Jason with a revised plan. Do you recognize the person in this photograph? Uh, no. Exactly. This is Catherine Townsend. Catherine Townsend was a teller at Welk Stoltz Savings and Loan until 1953 when she was fired. Do you know why she was fired? (laughs) No dice, Daddy-o. She was fired for cashing $200,000 in suspicious bearer bonds. But you know what? What? She didn't do it. She was on holiday in Topeka. There's plenty of evidence to back up her alibi. Photographs, testimonies, etc. So the bank wound up firing her anyway, but there were never any criminal charges. I I don't understand. Okay, let me lay out the plan. But wait, before that, we have one big problem. We're going to need someone who's good at picking locks. Ah, That's a big problem? Take it easy, daddy-o. I got just the shape and a drape in my galaxy. Excuse me? I, I, I know just the broad. I won't ask how you have such an acquaintance. And my lips are zipped, you dig? Okay, so we open a safe deposit box at Welk Stoltz. We go in to make a deposit. We get into the vault in the present in 1955. Then I travel us back to the vault in 1915 in the middle of the night and leave you and your safe cracker there. You break into the safe, get the bonds, leave, and go stash the bearer bonds somewhere that will be undisturbed for almost the next 40 years. I've mapped out a perfect location. There's a cemetery a couple of blocks from Welk Stoltz and a burial that will occur there days before we arrive. You go there, put the bonds in an airtight container, put them in the grave. It'll be fresh buried, so digging it up should be easy, and uh, being freshly buried will not be suspicious. Meanwhile, I take Catherine to 1952, where I dig up the grave, get the bearer bonds, and she goes into the bank. And the best part, she poses as herself, who isn't there because she's in Topeka. She cashes out the bearer bonds for me. I put the cash in the safe deposit box, which I've paid out for three years. I take Catherine with me, come get you and your burglar, and we all come back to 1955. Only now, we're each $50,000 richer. The beauty of it is, in the present, the money's in the clear. No crime, no trace. We follow all the rules. We don't interact with ourselves. We take nothing. We leave nothing. We only make history play out like it already did. Probably because that's what we always did. Easy, right? Um, no, I I, I don't understand. Okay, let me go over it again. We open a safe deposit box. Ah, hold up, Richie. It's okay. I trust you. This is just like prom night. It was always like that with you. I'd get an idea, and you'd always just run with it. And we never got caught, so yeah, say no more. I dig it. I see only a couple little problems. Such as? We get this Catherine lady fired. She already got fired. She'll still be fired if we don't. The grave. Uh, Digging up a grave. Isn't that kind of sleazy? It got dug up in 1952. I checked. Listen, Jason. Everything fits together so perfectly. In fact, it fits together so smoothly, I'm convinced we'd be messing up the timeline if we didn't do this. Oh, I got you, Richie. No sweat, I dig. Just just tell me what to do. I will wait for your call, Daddy-o. All right, contact your Lock and Klein friend. I'll reach out to Miss Catherine Townsend, and I'll call you with a time and a place. in fate, Richard? I didn't think I did, but but now, I, I don't know. Maybe, or maybe the universe just tries to make everything make sense after the fact. 
I guess I still don't know what I believe. Uh, so you went forward with this plan, this time heist, if you will? Yes, we, we the four of us, met at Jason's apartment. And this fuzzy duck is Annie. Annie Act. She's quicker than a July jackrabbit when it comes to opening a lock. 1915 won't know what hit him. Oh, Jason, please stop. You'll make me blush. And this flutterbum is Richard Farrow, the man who's going to get us here, there, and back. A man with a plan, a canal, Panama. Jace, that's a man, a plan, a canal, Panama. Good to meet you, Mr. Farrow. Let me introduce uh, Catherine Townsend. She'll be our person on the inside. Let's just get to business. <clears throat> How do I know this isn't some sort of fake out? I get it, babe. You want to see the pudding? I need a two-two. We'll get there, but first, I wanted us all to get a little more acquainted. Build some trust, you understand? Of course, of course. We all want to be comfortable, right? Right, ladies? Cut the gas, baby. You're getting out of sorts. Okay, I'll start. I'm Catherine. Richard recruited me because of my <clears throat> unfair termination from the bank. Not much to tell there. I was on holiday with my fiancé, and when I got back, they accused me of cashing out a bunch of funny money. They smeared my name, tried to get me arrested. It was horrible. It was pretty easy to prove I wasn't there and had no involvement with whatever happened. But in the end, that didn't matter. They fired me, and with all the talk around town, my fiancé left me. My parents won't talk to me, and I can't get a job anywhere. So yeah, if I can stick it to the bank and make a buck doing it, you can count me in. Well, Jason and I worked on a couple of, um, jobs before? I'm here for the kale. This plan sounds complicated, and let's be honest, something out of one of those crazy kid movies. But Jason trusts you, and I trust Jason. So here I am. I've known Jason since I was a kid, and I don't trust anyone on the planet more. This is a delicate thing we're doing. I, I believe the universe and time itself are ruled by their, their own laws. I have some idea of what those laws might be, but I don't know for sure. So I need everybody to promise to walk as lightly as we can here. Leave as little trace as possible. Ooh, I'm as quiet as a cat in pajamas. I cash some checks, I get out, I get paid, and no one is the wiser. Sounds pretty simple to me. All right. This here is the device. I'll show you how it works, but before we go, there are some rules. The first rule is never go into the future. <clears throat> and so you began jumping around in time to steal bearer bonds from a bank in 1915? Well, not immediately. Uh, I decided to spend another week going over the plan, practicing. Annie and Jason even found a copy of the lock that would uh, have been used on the safe deposit boxes of the day so Annie could practice on it. At the end of the week, we, we each had our parts down solid. I got a safe deposit box at Welk Stoltz. Annie and Jason and I were alone in the vault, took out the device, and suddenly you're in the same place but in the middle of the night in 1915. Okay. Here we are. Let's let's get on with this. Perfect. What's next? All right. I go forward. I close the vault door before the bank opens. I go back to 1955, take Catherine to 1952. I leave her at the bank while I go get the bonds to the graveyard. And then I go back to the bank, cash them out with Catherine. We take the cash and put it in the bank account get you two in the graveyard here in 1915 and then go back to the future and get the cash. Simple, right? Uh, yeah, right. Sure, Richie, whatever you say. Uh, I will see you in the graveyard in a few hours. Annie, you are up. Not sure I'll ever get used to that. All right, let's get into that safe deposit box. Slow down there, Ace. We got us some time. Say, it's a uh, kind of romantic in this dark sealed bank vault. Sugar, now, <laughs> I don't think that this is the right time. Oh, Jason, 
I don't know that there will ever be another time like this. Besides, we got all the time in the world, right? Oh, Annie. Oh, Jason. <clears throat> so you left them in the vault, went forward a few hours, locked the door behind them, and went to 1952, is that correct? Correct. And this is where things started to go wrong, though. I, I hadn't mentioned this before, but I'd been noticing each trip forward or back through time was getting harder on my body. There was this, uh, this heat inside of me after every use. It, it built up like when you eat a cookie fresh out of the oven, and it feels like it's glowing in your stomach. But each trip, the, the heat got hotter. And then the way my grandfather died, burned from the inside out, was beginning to sound less strange, less impossible. I was standing with Catherine in 1952 in an alleyway beside the bank. I had a raging stomach ache, wishing I could drink down a whole bottle of Pepto. But uh, Catherine was ready to do her part. That hurts. It's no walk in the park, that's for sure. It, it gets worse every trip, and the, the longer the jump, the more painful it is. Almost as if the, the total years traveled forward or back add up and increase the load on my body. It's a discomfort seems to be increasing at a super linear rate. <sighs> okay, Professor. Maybe you should get some rest before you jump again? That's, uh, that's probably a good idea. You head on in and get yourself set up. I'll, I'll go get the bonds and come back, cash them out, deposit them, and then uh, take a break before getting everyone back to 1955. I dig it. Uh, I'll be back within the hour. All right, Catherine, you can do this. It's been years. Things are going to be different. That no good bastard will... Come on! Brave face, Catherine. Heavens to Betsy! That bastard has no shame! Standing here at the front window of the bank and he's getting all handsy with that hussy? Oh, Susie and her cute girlish giggle. I knew he didn't fire me because of some bonds I never cashed. It was to get rid of me so he could get his paws all over her big boobs. I'm gonna show him what for. Hey, I'm back early. Hi, Brad. Brad, the bank manager, did you miss me? How about you, Susie? Uh, Catherine, uh, you're back. Um, uh, aren't you supposed to be in Topeka? Why, yes, Brad. How long did you wait after I left town before you started playing backseat bingo with Little Miss Teller of the Month here? <gasps> I never! Uh, Catherine, uh, please calm down. You are getting hysterical and chasing away the customers. No, Brad. I will not calm down. We had something wonderful, Brad. A real connection. You said we'd get married. But now wasn't a good time. It wasn't a good time because you were showing her a good time. Stooking on the books. I was going to leave my fiancé for you. How dare you, Kathy? You fuck! Go back to Topeka and die there! Ladies, please. Enough of your apple butter, Brad. You were going to fire me and make up some malarkey to justify it. You sneaky rat. Hussy. Skank. Cur. Uh, lady. Oh, oh, ladies, ladies, please. Not here in the bank. Oh, um, you broke my nose. I think you broke my freaking nose. Try it. You know, Cassidy, you're right. He is a rat. You get his arms, I'll work his face. You know what the crazy thing is, Susie? I lied. Brad didn't fire me for passing off bad bear bonds. He fired me for assaulting him while I was in Topeka. I lied. <laughs> All right. All right, break it up. I said break it up. Stop beating that man and put your hands on your heads. <laughs> so Catherine didn't fulfill her part? 
Oh, God, no, she did not. I pieced this all together from newspaper reports, what had actually happened. Pierce, Catherine was never fired for passing those those notes. Uh, she was fired for assaulting her boss, whom I guess she'd been having an affair with. When I met her and asked questions about the bank bonds, I guess I was too eager. She she saw an opportunity and just took her cues from me. She was arrested for assault and battery, uh, something she, of course, vigorously denied. She maintained her innocence even when they sent her to the state mental hospital for three years. But clearly a need for revenge had begun to brew inside of her. <clears throat> so that was the 1952 Catherine. What about the 1955 Catherine? The Catherine that is three years older? What happened to her? No clue. I, I, I never saw her again. Uh, she's never shown up in any of our records either. I have to say, Richard, this is getting to be a very convoluted story. We aren't convoluted yet, Dr. Cleaver, but we'll get there. Oh, dear. Okay, this is all of them, Angel Face. We should get going. Richard's going to be back soon. Jason, you dog. That was a lot more than I was expecting. Not that I'm complaining. <laughs> I'm not complaining either. Uh, we should get going and bury these. What's the rush? We still got time. <laughs> I, I mean, we have some time, but... Uh, I thought we had all the time in the world. Like, literally. Like, really, right? I mean, here we are in 1915, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And we should be leaving. But just over the bridge in San Francisco, the Pan-Pacific Exposition is going on. An honest-to-goodness world's fair. I wanted to go to that ever since I was a kid. Now, wait, I, I don't know. Please, Pumpkin, just a couple of hours. Richard won't even know we went. Oh, I don't know. Baby... It's really important to me. Did I ever tell you my parents met at that fair? They told me about it as a, as, as a kid. It sounded magical. Wait, your parents are there? But what if we run into them? 18 million people attended the fair. There's no way we'll run into anyone we know. I don't like this. There's a palace of food and other delights. <laughs> Oh, all right. I guess there's no point in coming all this way if we don't have a, a little fun. We will have lots of fun, I promise. <laughs> okay, baby. Let's hurry. But she doesn't like it when I go off book. Who cares what that giant square likes? You got me, Pumpkin. Yeah, he can cool his heels a bit. Let's go have some fun! I told you. Magical. This is pretty swell. People are giving us some funny looks. Oh, I know. It's our clothes. The clothes of the future! <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that we should be advertising that. Relax. This is a fair all about modern developments in the direction of the future. They had the first phone line from San Francisco to New York operating for this fair. Everyone will just think we're an exhibit. Uh, if you're sure, Angel Face. Have fun. You only get to go to a historical event that already happened, like, never in a lifetime. Let's enjoy. Well, hello there, young lady. Yeah! What? <laughs> Run! What? Run! Please, stop those two. Hey! Baby! <laughs> <laughs> Why did you kick that man in the Johnson? That was my dad! What? <laughs> yeah, didn't you see? He was coming on to me! There's no way I was gonna let that happen! So... So you kicked him? What if you, you know, made him steal out kicking him there? It just happened. Uh, what about kicking over that food cart and, and grabbing that pretzel? It just happened! Now stop talking! Run faster! Uh, 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 I, I, I think we lost them. Uh, well, let, let's hang in the doorway a bit longer just to be sure. 
I told you this would be fun. You also said there'd be 18 million people here, and there was no way we'd run into anyone we knew, let alone your dad. Yeah, well, I mean, what are the odds? Oh, I don't know. Maybe one in 18 million? <laughs> uh, you know, I just remembered. At the night I met, my mom was working as a nurse in the medical tent. She had to tend to my father's injuries. No matter how many times they told the story, he never said how he got hurt. Well, now we know. It's fine. We had fun, right? Ugh, I haven't gotten chased by an angry mob since I was 16. Well, it's making me feel romantic. Oh, is it now? Hello there, you two lovebirds. Mother Jehoshaphat, don't sneak up on a guy. You two gave us quite a chase, but now you're going to have to come with me. Now hold on there, officer. I think you have us confused with some other Joes. Oh, now I hardly... Sir Harry Coben? Why, as a matter of fact, I am, sir. Have we met? What are the odds? Uh, uh no. D don't wake out. It's just my grandfather's name was Harold Coben. I mean, is Harold Coben. And, um, well, I had... Have I have heard of you from some friends I had in the fuzz? Uh, like not heard her, but, but anyway, your name is stuck in my mind because it's the same as my grandpa's. Not that you are my grandpa. That would be crazy. Really, hey, you did. Uh, but, uh, but it's the same name, so I, I always remember it. Uh, I've heard good things. Uh, a real straight shooter that you're coping, they say. Uh, a real pig's pig, you know? Uh, uh, say again? Clear your heels, Jace. You're, you're babbling. Right, right, sorry. I, I just do that when I get nervous. I, I mean, I'm not nervous. Why, why would I be nervous? Uh, why not stash the hot iron and we'll just beat the gravel? What, ma'am, is there something wrong with him? He's just tense. Crowds make him tense. Officer Coben. Sir. What is in the satchel there? You keep looking at it. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, just some, some papers. Snacks. A marriage license. Uh, a marriage license and some snacks. Uh, we have a firing license. After this, uh, we figured it'd be a long line. We, take, uh, we need a little pick-me-up, you dig? S snacks and a marriage license. Of course. You won't mind if I take a look-see. Don't blow your jets. Like I said, we gotta beat gravel. Oh. Well, Big's got a heater. Uh, you're, you're gonna be bad news. Yes, please, have a look. Bearer bonds? Hoo-wee. This must be a hundred grand if there's a nickel. Nah, two hundred. Jeez. I'll make you a two a deal. I'm gonna take these bonds for, uh, safekeeping. You two lovebirds are free to go on your merry way. Nobody needs to talk about this ever again. What happens to these certificates? Well, that will just be one of the great mysteries of the new century, eh? The Gramps! You can't! Oh, yes, uh, the pistol. Uh, of course, <laughs> my mistake. You two lovebirds have a nice day. I know I will. <laughs> hey! Oh, that old scoundrel! I'll never look at my keen old grandpa Harry the same way again, I'll tell you. What are we gonna do now, Jace? I guess, let's get back to the graveyard and meet up with Richard. Maybe he can think of something. Uh, we gotta figure out a story to tell him. He messed us up pretty bad, and I don't think telling him the truth is going to help. Damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it. They aren't here, Jason. Damn it. Jason, you were supposed to bury them right here, and they're not here. Why? Why did you rely on Jason? Jason is and has always been an imbecile. No. No, wait a minute, Richard. He's your friend and the only person that's ever been loyal to you. Damn it, I'm talking to myself again. Damn it, Jason. Excuse me, sir. This is a grave, sir. You can't dig that up. Sir. Damn it, a groundskeeper. I need to think. I need to think. Back to 55. A plan. I, I need a plan. No! 
damn it, it, it broke. Of course it did, you idiot. You were spasming and thrashing on the floor like that. Of course I was. It hurt so much. I thought our head was going to explode. Richie, you're talking to yourself again. Damn it. You can fix it, Richie. I can fix it. Damn it. It's not working. What do I do? What do I do? I, I know. I know. I can look through my grandfather's notes. He must have had notes on how it was built. I'll, I'll fix it. I'll, I'll go back and get them. And did you fix it, that is? If I had, would we be having this conversation? No, there were, there were no schematics, no notes on this construction. I went through all of my grandfather's journals and notes, and none of it helped. His notes were a wild, disorganized mess. I, I did learn some things, though. What did you learn, Richard? I learned that my grandfather was obsessed with time travel. I learned that he devoted his, his whole life to it. I learned that my mother was conceived in a bank vault and that... When my grandfather heard my mother was marrying a man with the last name Pharaoh, my grandfather disowned her on the spot. That when he'd heard they'd named their son Richard, he had us written out of his will entirely. I learned that my grandfather, Jack Culpert, had been stranded by his best friend in 1915 and spent his entire life trying to build a machine to get home. But by the time he had built a working model, he realized he'd, he'd already made it home. The long way. All right, Mr. Pharaoh. Richard. You're free to go. I see no evidence of significant paradoxical delineation. I learned a lot of things, but there's still one mystery left. <clears throat> yes, Mr. Farrell, what was that? My grandfather died at the age of 108, but Jason was 25 years old when he was stranded in 1915. He should only be 65 years old. <clears throat> Just because he didn't create the device in time to return to his life doesn't necessarily mean he didn't use the device, wouldn't you say, Mr. Farrell? Hmm... Well, yes, I suppose that does make sense. I sincerely hope that this is the last time you are under investigation by the Intertemporal Enforcement Agency. The, the what now? Please exit the way you came in, Mr. Farrow. And Mr. Farrow? What? what uh, yes? We simply cannot allow any further paradoxical events. I'd hate for you to meet the same fate as your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> 